Oh shit. Here we go again. brand new edition of road to glory the number one go-to college football podcast on the pigskin live i'm your host your boy swank joined by the goat steph what's good steph yes sir i'm doing great today today. amazing yeah Yeah, man uh i think it's like a thursday june 15th so we're getting closer and closer day by day to the start of college football. Uh, do we know when the first game is this year? I know it might be Florida, Utah. I think we play on like August 31st on a Thursday. Is that a week zero game? I'm not sure. That That's a good point. I think there's a week zero. There might okay. be. I'm going to look it up right now. I got it right here for us. I think um, Notre Dame plays on yep. in, in Ireland. In Ireland. Yeah. So week zero, Saturday, August 26th. Uh, like you said, Notre Dame actually plays Navy in Ireland. Um, Vandy plays Hawaii that night as well. Uh, and San Jose uh, visits USC. So those are a few. USC cool. has a week zero? What the heck? Uh, unless, that's, unless that's South Carolina, but I'm pretty sure that's USC. It's on the Pac-12 <laughs> network too. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It is. So, it yeah, it so wouldn't be playing a California team week one. Exactly. Not, not in, I mean, maybe in, in eventually, if, if Oregon joins the SEC along with uh, Cal <laughs> and, and uh, <laughs> Washington or something, who knows? I mean, who knows where college football is heading? Um, but yeah, so we're about two months away, just over two months away from week zero. It's going to be excited, man, once we get there. Um, got a nice little loaded docket again, as per usual, man. Um, we're going to talk about some topics that are trending right now in college football. Uh, as the SEC 2024 schedule was just revealed yesterday, a lot of intriguing matchups, um, some crazy schedules. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about the Elite 11, um, the big high school quarterback event uh, that happens every year with the top quarterbacks from around the country just show, showcasing all their talents and stuff. And then I guess we could take a look at some of these uh, – New head coaches, I don't want to say first year because a lot of them aren't first year head coaches. Most of them are multiple years of experience, but they're at new locations. So I'll take a look at some of these guys and just talk about them and talk about if we have any expectations for them and their team uh, this year. And then I just saw an article about uh, just some team revenue rankings. And there was a couple teams on there that maybe I didn't necessarily expect to make as much money as they did. So talk a little bit about that as well. Uh, But anywhere in specific you want to start or anything you want to Get off your chest before we begin. Man, anything I got to get off my chest. Honestly, I said it before and I'll probably say it again. Jimbo Fisher, please let Bobby Petrino call the plays. You didn't hire this man for no reason. <laughs> Listen, for the sake of my mental health and the mental health of college football fans across the country, please let this man call the plays. I'm tired of watching that anemic offense. If I have to watch that offense be anything like it was last year, oh, my goodness. I, I don't know what I'm going to do because it's just so horrible to to look at this team 
that you expect so much from. We hear about all the five stars. We hear about all this supposed talent that they have. And they're in a dogfight with UMass. I mean, Jesus Christ, what are we doing? So please, Jimbo Fisher, please let Bobby Petrino call the plays. I see you in the press conference saying you don't know if, if he's calling the plays or you're calling the plays. Listen, we've seen enough of you calling the plays. We know you can do whatever you want because you got that crazy buyout. But listen, please just let this man call the plays for the sake of my mental health and for college football fans' mental health around the world. And I, I would I would agree. I say that's definitely the biggest point of contention when it comes to like just talk about Jimbo Fisher in general. I mean, we all uh, remember those high powered offenses uh, that he produced at Florida State, specifically with Jameis Winston that one year where they went undefeated, won the national championship. Um, so it's it, it was never in question that Jimbo Fisher is a good offensive mind. But um, you said it. I mean, at Texas A&M, it just it's been anemic. I mean, just I don't know what changed. I don't know what happened. I know he hasn't really had. Uh, the best quarterbacks, although he did have Kellerman for some time, still not a great quarterback in my opinion, but I think he's a good college quarterback and they still weren't um, producing as much. So I know a lot of people are calling for his head. I know a lot of people <laughs> him fired. And I think that's mainly because of the offense. And this is not just a Jimbo Fisher thing, by the way, I think this is around the country. We're seeing um, stuff like this happen. I mean, even with Florida, a lot of people want Billy Napier to hire a real offensive coordinator <laughs> and to give up the play play calling and, and Billy doesn't Wait, seem he calls the players on offense. Yeah. He's the, he's our OC. I thought he was a defensive guy. Nah, he's a, he's a, he was a wide receiver coach. I mean, he's, Oh my goodness. All those, all those, um, Julio Joneses and guys you've seen at Alabama over the years, you know, who recruited him. I'm just oh saying, my goodness. I'm just saying Billy was a wide receiver coach first at, uh, the prestigious Alabama. Um, but like I was saying, um, yeah, so I, I, I think a lot of these head coaches, I don't know, I don't want to say it's ego, but um, they're very confident in their abilities. And obviously that's what got them to where they are as head coaches at Texas A&M, right? That's what got Jimbo to Florida State, his offensive mind and, and his play calling ability. But I, I think there's there's some times where you just have to do what's best for your program. And um, they have a good OC in that building at Texas A&M. And I think if Jimbo does finally relinquish those play calls, uh, over to him, I think Texas A&M can definitely reach what um, reach their expectations that have been put on them for sure. And if you think about it, most of the best coaches don't call the plays. The CEOs, exactly. Look at you know, Nick Saban. Look at Urban Meyer. Right. Uh, Kirby Smart doesn't Kirby call Smart. the plays, to my knowledge. Yep. Dan Lanning doesn't call the plays. Don't do that. Just saying. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do just that. Just saying. Don't do that. Don't do that. I'm just saying. But, <laughs> but I agree. With, I agree with your sentiment. Like, I I definitely agree that the CEO style head head coach. Even you look at the NFL guys like Mike Tomlin, Bill Belichick, um, who else are other really good head coaches in the NFL right now? I can't think off the top of my head, but I think guys, Andy Reid might be Andy the only Reed, one that still calls. Yeah, Andy Reid be whipping it up, but that's like a that's a big collaborative effort. I feel like between him, Patrick oh, Mahomes, and um. The enemy, the enemy's gone. So we'll see how that affects the offense. Definitely. Um, but I, I definitely, I agree. It's, I, it's more of a because you know, head coach has so much responsibility, especially at college, right? NFL head coaches don't got to worry about recruiting. They don't got to worry about certain yep. smaller stuff. Uh, but when you're a college head coach, you have a roster filled with 85 kids, right? NFL only has 55 players, 53 players. 
um, and they're grown men that can pretty much look after themselves. These guys are still kids. Parents are expecting you to be like a second father figure to them and really take care of their son over the four, five years that they're at your school. Right. So as a, as a head coach, you have a lot of responsibility, including recruiting. Um, and it's just very hard to put all of your time and effort into that as well as being a play caller. Cause that is a whole nother ball game. I mean, you're competing against the best of the best where there's guys that that's all their job is to do is just to think about ways to call offense. They don't got to worry about anything else. And I feel Absolutely. like that can definitely put you out at a, a disadvantage if, um, especially if you're an older kind of guy and, and the offense that you run maybe, maybe a little outdated. I'm not saying that uh, Jimbo or Billy in specific, but just in general. Um, but all right. I think that was a nice little opener. I, I didn't, didn't expect <laughs> to go there, but see that you was tapped into that press conference earlier. So, Man, I was just – I've just been thinking about that all summer, man. <laughs> no, I mean, I feel like Texas A&M could definitely – this is a year where a lot of people are maybe expecting Bama not to be as good, um, which means the SEC West is up for grabs. And, exactly. Um, LSU obviously is going to be pretty good. Ole Miss could be a, a factor. But Texas A&M, this could really be their chance to um, do something if they ever are going to do it. Uh, I don't really think Alabama is going to be as bad as a lot of people are expecting them to be, but – no, they're uh, still probably going to win 10 games. Yeah. At least. I, at least. I'd agree. I definitely have to agree. Um, but I guess since we're talking about the SEC, we can just start off with the SEC schedule that was just um, released yesterday. Um, it was revealed for the 2024 season only. So we don't have a, a full look at what it'll be like beyond the 2024 season necessarily yet. Um, as we know, like with the Big Ten and their model, how they're going to just do it every year for the next two, three, four, five decades. But um, the SEC just announced the, the, your opponents for next year. And that's obviously significant because Texas and Oklahoma are joining the SEC next year. So um, how do you want to do this? You want to go like team by team? Do you just want to like look at like the top 10 kind of like matchups for next year? Or do you just want to look at maybe like a handful of teams, like the important teams, and like not even talk about Mizzou or like. Well, yeah, we don't have to talk about Mizzou and Vandy. Or Vandy, but, yeah, but Mississippi State, yeah. I will say this: Georgia does not have a cupcake schedule in twenty twenty four. That's for sure. It's true, and I think we could definitely start there with Georgia. Um, uh, their opponents will be Auburn at home, Mississippi State at home, Tennessee at home. They'll be traveling to Alabama, to Kentucky, to Ole Miss, and to Texas. So. Just looking at those opponents, um, and then you look at the schedule that Georgia plays this year. That includes McNeese State, Ball State, um, and like a, even I think there's like three FCS teams, uh, maybe even a Group of Five team. It's just not very strong. And this is something that Georgia has been doing. Yes, this is something that Georgia has been doing for a while now. Um, and another point of contention that I I do want to give a little bit to to Georgia's credit, like you expect Florida and Tennessee and even maybe Kentucky to be a tough game every year for Georgia. And it just hasn't been in the recent years. Yeah. So you got to give credit to them for just being that much better than their opponents. And you got to kind of look at Florida. You kind of got to look at Tennessee and, and get them to pick it up and give Georgia more competition. So I, I don't want to say that it's always their fault for playing a weak schedule, but they are notorious for playing a very weak schedule. So it's going to be very interesting to see, um, how these guys respond to a full slate. Um, 
Well, they did schedule Oregon and they scheduled Clemson before, so it hasn't yeah, been. And they all played bad. Notre Dame twice, uh, right. and they played UNC, I think, as well. Um, this was, yeah, so Georgia, they get a lot of crap for like their scheduling, and I mean, I'm a Gators fan, so I'm all for that. But um, <laughs> <laughs> when you look at reality, it's really not as bad as it seems. But this is a gauntlet. I mean, you got to see Alabama um, on the road, and that's. That's not a fun, a fun game at all. And you expect Florida to be better. You expect Auburn to be a little bit better. Tennessee to be a little bit better. We'll see about Texas and how they're going to adjust to playing all these SEC schools. Um, an Ole Miss team that could be dangerous. So we'll see about Georgia in 2024. I think um, they're. I'm not going to say their 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 reign is over, but um, when you're playing a schedule like this, um, eight physical physical games. Um, obviously injuries are going to happen. Attrition is going to happen that way. Guys are just going to be more tired and worn out by the end of the year. So it's really going to be a marathon for, for Georgia rather than kind of just coasting through the regular season and then exerting all of your energy in the playoffs SEC championship game. Honestly, I'm more worried about Texas and Oklahoma. If you want to be real, mostly Oklahoma, because they don't have that level of talent yet. A bunch of people left when coach Riley left, but, We'll see. Um, it seems like Venables is bringing in some good classes, but I don't know. I think it's going to be rough for at least the first year for Oklahoma. Yeah, I agree. I think Oklahoma's schedule is definitely a little bit rougher than um, Texas, and we could definitely look at their opponents here first. Uh, Oklahoma has Alabama. They do get the luxury of ha- having Alabama at home. I don't know how much of a difference that will make. Um, like I you don't said, think it a, makes any difference. Yeah, there's a huge talent gap between the two teams right now, so don't really think it'll make much of a difference. Um, they get South Carolina at home, they get Tennessee uh, at home, and they get Texas at uh, that's a that's a um, the combo, right? They don't play. That's a neutral game. Yeah, yeah, that's a neutral side game. The Red River yeah. rivalry or Red yep. River shootout, whatever they call it these days. <laughs> yeah. So um, then they have to go on the road to Auburn, LSU, Ole Miss, and Missouri. Um, so, yeah, when you just look at Oklahoma's talent profile and, like, where you would slot them in the SEC right now, like, in the rankings, you would just put them around that Florida, Kentucky, Texas, Tennessee, definitely. South Carolina area, right? So there is a, definitely a clear gap between Oklahoma and, and, and the likes of an Alabama, a Georgia, even an LSU. There, I, I think there definitely is a, a bit of a gap there. So to see a lot of those teams on their schedule is definitely – like you said, uh, a bit nerve wracking. If I was an Oklahoma fan, it's going to be a tough, tough out. And welcome to the SEC. Um, as for Texas, um, they get Florida at home, Georgia at home, Kentucky at home, and Mississippi State at home. Uh, they go on the road to Arkansas. They go on the road to Texas A&M, and they go on the road to Vandy. Um, with Oklahoma obviously as um, the neutral site game. So this slate seems pretty favor- favorable for Texas, to be honest. It kind of seems like they lucked out a bit, right? Um, you get Florida and Georgia both at home, um, so that they helps. They don't play I mean, Alabama, and they don't they, play LSU. LSU. And then they only have three true road SEC games because they have a neutral site game, and those and two of them are against Arkansas and Vandy. Now, obviously, Arkansas has been a much improved program with um, – um, You can't um, sleep. I'm, bl- I'm blanking on, 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 on the head coach's name, Sam Pittman. Obviously, since Sam Pittman has taken over things at Arkansas, they've been a much improved program. Um, and uh, Texas A&M is obviously a good program and not 
an easy out on the road. Texas Texas A&M is going to be fun to re- to see that rivalry reunited. Definitely. Um, I know they haven't really played uh, that much. Uh, they've been ducking kind of. So supposedly, according to the E Streets, Texas is ducking A&M. A&M wants all the smoke, and it was Texas all these years that didn't want to play A&M. Um, <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's what I read. It could be opposite, uh, but I'm pretty sure that's that's what the Streets was saying. Um, Did you see so the yeah, little it, drama about where the game is going to be played? No, I didn't. What happened? I think it was Texas A&M that said that the game's going to be in A&M, but even though the last time they played, it was at A&M. <laughs> I feel like A&M is always getting stuff like that for them, though. <laughs> I feel like they always are getting, like, two home games against us. Like, Florida had to travel to A&M back-to-back years. Like, why? Like, how do we not? Like, what? <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. It's... I don't know what's going on over there. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, like like I was saying, they only have three true road SEC games, and two of them are Archie and Vandy. So, like... Texas seen I mean, I feel like they can maybe do something with this schedule. Florida, oh, as much as I would like can. to say as like as much as I would like to say that we're gonna beat Texas, that's a winnable game for Texas. They're probably gonna lose to Georgia, obviously. Kentucky's a winnable game. Mississippi State's a winnable game. So I I I think Texas got got lucky for sure. Year one. Definitely did. They're trying to I don't know, I don't mean to be conspiracy theorists, but they're definitely trying to prop up Texas. They want to say that Texas is back so bad. <laughs> I don't know. Definitely. Um, we'll see. We'll see. Uh they got a good quarterback this year, so th- if this is not, this will be a nice little appetizer to see what uh what kind of Texas team will be joining uh the SEC next year. Uh let's talk about this Florida schedule because this was kind of went viral on like college football Twitter. Um, Florida has what is one of the hardest schedules I've ever seen, um, in a, ever, um, including out of conference in conference. It's about the same as usual. Uh, F- Florida has Kentucky at home, LSU at home. Wait, uh, they ho- why do you play every other good team in Florida? Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> so we play Florida state every year, obviously. Right. Um, but why do you play ucf and miami so we played miami what year was that 2019 remember that week zero game yeah Um, that game both of y'all played like garbage yeah but we won because we're better we're the better garbage (laughs) so (laughs) so um i'm i obviously they probably had it in the works before that game but i felt like that game kind of re-sparked the rivalry and um it was announced soon afterwards that we were doing a home and home with them um but i thought it was planned for a a few years down the line, not 2024, but I guess it's 2024. And then we had the UCF home and home. Well, listen, UCF was trying to get a home and home, but they're little bro. So we was not with the home and home. We was with the y'all come here and then we'll play out at a neutral site, like in Orlando or something. Um, I don't remember what the exact details was. We, we might've just wound up giving them the home for home. Um, but that was before the Miami thing was announced. So, yeah, now we play the whole state home. of Florida. Y'all scared of the uh, bounce house. No, because we're not going to make no money, bro. We are the flagship school in Florida. UCF oh. was a group of five school at the time. They weren't even in the Big 12 when this was You're when this deal was signed. scared of the bounce house. Just admit it. We don't want to hear none of that. Just, like I was saying, look, you're saying we scared of the bounce house, but we the only Florida school got that, that got everybody on the schedule. Well, Florida State <laughs> and Miami obviously play each other every year, right? So Florida State and Miami play each other, yeah. but... We even we even got the smoke for UCF. Like this is, and I think this is good for college football. To be honest, it really um, is. Maybe not good for Florida. No, uh, not but, good for Florida. Well, <laughs> the Florida school is all playing is really good for Florida. I I I enjoy that. I think that's really good for recruiting as well. 
Florida is such a talent-rich state where a lot of kids do like to stay home and play for these schools in Florida. And I feel like if we have a year where we beat all three of them, that's definitely a good recruiting pitch. Well, you could um, definitely like, claim your king at that point. For sure, for sure. Um, but for the schedule in general, um, having those three teams on the schedule, all three of those teams looking like they potentially could be okay in the future, maybe not Miami. Uh, Florida State's looking good. UCF is looking pretty good. Miami, who knows about them. But <laughs> And then we still got to play Kentucky, LSU, Ole Miss, A&M, Georgia, Mississippi State, Tennessee, and Texas. So 2024 is going to be a wild a year. Gauntlet. It is a it is a gauntlet and and people I don't know man that this is what I'd be trying to say when oh well the SEC only has two teams well yeah because only two teams can make the playoffs from each conference but <laughs> it's really a gauntlet year in and year out and I really think this is what makes the SEC so much different than any other pro any other conference in America Big Ten obviously is trying to get to this point I think they definitely have had a lot of good depth and. Um, they they have a mini gauntlet themselves, but it's nothing quite like playing in the SEC. This is week in and week out. You you just know it's a game, no matter what. You got to be ready for war. And maybe Georgia. Maybe when you guys go to Miami, the tickets won't be two dollars. <laughs> maybe I mean we we've we've talked a lot about Mario Crystal. We've only been two episodes in, but we definitely gave our think pieces <laughs> about what they got going on down there and um. Maybe, maybe they won't be $2, but this is next year, bro. So maybe they will be $2, bro. It's not like, <laughs> it's not like they have a whole bunch of time until this matchup has to turn both of our programs around. We'll, so we'll, we'll see Miami <laughs> next year. So who knows? We both could be five and seven by the end going into next, going into next season. So, um, which I don't think, I mean, when we get closer to our predictions, I'm going to shock people with my prediction. It's going to sound super biased, but anyways, are you going to be uh, a homer so about Alabama schedule as well? Two, just because they're Alabama. Um, they get Auburn at home. They get Georgia at home. They get Missouri at home. And they get South Carolina at home. Then they travel to LSU, Oklahoma, Tennessee, and Vandy. Um, I think this is a pretty fair slate for Alabama. I don't think they get off easy at all. They play all of their rivals in Auburn, LSU, and Tennessee. They also get Georgia, um, a South Carolina team that obviously is not on par with all Alabama, but is improving. Um, Got a couple easier games with the Missouri and the Vandy game, but um, I think this is overall not a bad schedule for Alabama. I, I, I think we're going to get some good games and learn a lot about them. I don't know if you think this is too easy or too hard for them, but I don't mind it. Yeah, I think it's just I don't I don't think it's really too easy or too hard. I think it's just nice. The SEC has definitely done a good job with preserving the important rivalries. Definitely. Um, and that's where I want to go next. Now, I just kind of want to talk about uh, like the top 10 games going into next year. Um, just give our thoughts on those. Now, we talked about this first one here, Texas at Texas A&M. Um, it's been 13 years since they've played, but they've played 118 times um, total. So it'll be a, a very interesting game to see these two old-time rivals clash um i know we like i said we talked about this a little bit earlier so i don't know if you want to spend too much time on it but any other thoughts on this texas at texas a&m game man i'm just excited to to watch it you know these are two fan bases that probably don't like each other very much there's gonna be a lot of drama and trash talking on twitter and all the social medias and there's definitely gonna be a bunch of good players to watch out for at the game so i think it'll be fun 
definitely. Um, next matchup that we want to highlight here is Georgia at Alabama battle of the Titans, uh, a potential sec championship preview. Um, I mean, we've seen this matchup a few times over the past couple years now, not much to say, but we just know it's going to be a heavyweight fight pretty much every single time. We got Georgia at Texas. Um, one point that was brought up is that this potentially could be an Arch Manning versus Dylan Riola matchup. Um, so that would be pretty interesting to see that those two young quarterbacks go at it and battle out there at Texas. Um, any thoughts on this Georgia at Texas game? Do you think it'll even be close or do you think this is going to be a, a skunk? Well, based on how the programs have been recently, I think Georgia will win by a blowout. And I'm not really making a prediction about any player. Yeah, it's way on, too early. This is 2024. Right. Yeah. And I, I, I don't want to say anything about any player on Georgia or Texas, especially players that aren't even there yet. Um, but, you know, I just think that Georgia is, is in a place right now where they're just a machine. They are what they are. They're number one. And everybody is chasing that. And Texas isn't even close right now. Let's be real. They haven't even won the Big 12 which is a weaker conference than the SEC, is weaker than the Big Ten. You could argue it's weaker than the Pac-12, but that's a different that's a different conversation. But the point is, they haven't even won the Big 12, and they can't even beat – well, did they even play Kansas State? But either way, Kansas State won the conference. That shouldn't even be happening in a conference that has Texas and Oklahoma. So I don't know. Like I said before, I just think it's – I think it's going to be worse for Oklahoma at first, but I definitely wouldn't be surprised for Texas to go seven and five in 2024. Definitely not. I mean, it's going to be definitely an uphill battle for them. Um, they got Sark out there, man. I don't think he's a bad coach. I think, I think there's hope. I think there's, uh, it's not all bad. I should say. Yeah. And things but, just take time. Yeah, That's really what definitely. it is. That's not me trying to talk bad about Sark or any, or any coach, yeah. really. It's just that things take time to build. And if you look at where Texas was, you know, they just needed a lot more work. Definitely. Um, next, we have Tennessee at Oklahoma. Um, this is going to be a very, very interesting game because I'm, I'm pretty sure this will definitely have some young quarterbacks um, at the helm. I think Nico uh, will definitely be this, the quarterback. I don't think Joe Milton has any eligibility left after this year anyways. So uh, <laughs> we'll see. Um, Nico had one of his first big games on the road at Oklahoma against the Brett Venables defense. Um, I think Tennessee and Oklahoma, this is going to be a, a cool matchup to watch over the years. Just two programs that I kind of, Rate similarly, obviously Oklahoma has a lot more recent success than Tennessee, but Tennessee is definitely on the up and up with uh, Hypo and them boys. So I think this will be a cool um, offense versus defense kind of battle. Even though it's cr- it's crazy to think about Oklahoma and defense, um, just thinking about their roots from the Big Twelve and Lincoln Riley and all those Heisman quarterbacks they've had over the years. But uh, now playing in the SEC with a defensive minded head coach like Brett Venables, I think that program is definitely doing a whole one eighty when it comes to their identity and it'll be interesting to see against some of these high powered uh, sec offenses. Yeah. And, and these games are almost going to feel like 
a non-conference game yeah. know, those first few years that they happen because we're just not mm-hmm. used to these teams being in the same conference. So, Like we're playing NCAA. Right, right. It's just, it's just those matchups that you just wish could happen. <laughs> definitely, definitely. It's going to be fun. And a little storyline, uh, Josh Heupel is one of those former quarterbacks from Oklahoma. So um, that'll be cool to see him go against his alma mater. Um, then we got Alabama at LSU, a rivalry as old as time here in the SEC, one of the best games pretty much every single year. Um, Alabama will be traveling to Death Valley in 2024. Um, not really much to say from me, at least on this game. I mean, it speaks for itself. We got some of the all-time classic games um, with this matchup, and usually it delivers every year. And uh, LSU won last year, right? So. Yep. Alabama is going to be looking to get their get back this year, and then we'll see what things uh, go for in 2024. Uh, any thoughts about just this Alabama-LSU game in general? No, it is what it is. Just like you said, yeah. one of the biggest games, it's on my sports bucket list to go to the Alabama versus LSU at nighttime in Death Valley. That's that's fire. That's definitely a, a sports bucket list kind of game. would be a great atmosphere and environment to enjoy a, a probably incredible football game. Um, we got Oklahoma at LSU, uh, this is actually going to be the fifth time ever these two teams will meet. Um, so this is just like you said, a, one of those games that I really feel like an out-of-conference game, a game that we're not really used to seeing and a game that a lot of people have wished to, to maybe see or one of these NCAA matchups. So it'll be really cool to see a, a major brand like Oklahoma take on a major brand like LSU and travel to Death Valley and see how, what Oklahoma's like playing there. I mean, Oklahoma's had to play it. Um, in some big time stadiums, obviously, and they've played in some big time environments like the college football playoffs as well. But uh, nothing quite like Death Valley. Even on a Saturday afternoon, it's it's rocking in there. As a as a Gator fan, when, when we play LSU every year, I could I can tell you it's crazy in there. Um, continuing, we got Alabama at Oklahoma. Um, this one, <laughs> obviously, when you think about the history of it, you think about what was that, 2017, 2018, where Alabama beat the absolute breaks off Oklahoma in the playoffs? Were you at that game? The one when Kyle Murray was, was playing? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I was there. That was <laughs> – I think it was the – 2018. I think it was 2018, yeah. 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 Sounds like you, you pushed that out of your memory. It, sounds, it seems like that was a, a horror <laughs> story I just brought up to you or something. <laughs> I mean, I didn't really have no skin in the game, so I was just yeah. having fun. But, yeah, I, I – <laughs> I don't know why I got my ears mixed up, but yeah, I was at the game because it was at um, it was at the Hard Rock Stadium in Miami. So, yeah, I was there. It was a fun game, though. For sure, um, we talked about rivalries that we were happy that like were, were kept, and one of them that I have really grown to enjoy over the years um, is Texas A and M and LSU. And I didn't realize that this was a big rivalry. Um, I know it's obviously. Um, an, uh, an in-conference or in-division opponent. Um, but I don't remember what year it was where they had that 74 to 72, one of the greatest, <laughs> if not the greatest college football game of all time, went to like seven overtimes. I mean, it's not obviously has ever been that again, but these games usually do deliver um, with excitement and just good football from both teams. Didn't Texas A&M beat LSU last year? Yeah, they did. Yep. So. <laughs> This is just ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, so I'm I'm happy that that game was kept. I wasn't sure if it would be kept. Um, and and obviously, like I said, the the 2024 
schedule is just the 2024 schedule. It has no indication on what the model will be for the future. So maybe um, oh, they're definitely gone, going to but, nine games in um, 2025. Yeah, I, I'd, I'd assume so. I'd hope so as well. And then finally, we got Florida at Texas. Um, to just be a really interesting game. I don't think Florida has played Texas in my lifetime. Um, I don't remember them playing ever. Yeah, so um, I feel like this will be a very cool matchup to see two major flagship programs. I mean, Florida and Texas are just two huge brands nationally when it comes to college football, um, especially 10 years ago when they had guys like Tim Tebow, Colt McCoy, Vince Young running around, Percy Harvin. So it'll be cool to see uh, those two uh, titans of the past clash in 2024 and and hopefully potentially more in the future. I'll, I'll be very excited to see that game. And I definitely would want to go to Texas to go watch that matchup. Don't know if I'll be able to make it there next year. Going to try. Uh, but if I can't make it there next year, I'll definitely be there in the future because um, that's a stadium that I would love to go to and enjoy uh, a good football game in. Definitely. Same here. There's so many places uh, I still got to get to, man. It's crazy. Yeah, no, there's a, a lot of cool stadiums in college football. Um, I would say way more so than the NFL. Obviously, there's more colleges than NFL franchises, but as cool as SoFi is, as cool as uh, the Death Star um, and uh, Vegas is, I definitely prefer like a, a classic, like the big house at Michigan. Like going, I would love to go see a game there. Or like because uh, the fans are just so much more passionate. Yep. The True. NFL is way more corporate, so it's really just more rich people that they probably don't really care about the game that much. Whereas college, you yeah. might be sitting on a bleacher, but the fans are going to be crazy. Crazy. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. It's, you you got some NFL fan bases that are definitely uh, got some wild fans, some good environments, the Chiefs, uh, Cowboys, Steelers, Seahawks. Um, just to come off the top of my head, those are some pretty good stadium environments, Raiders. But you're right. Um, a, lot of, a lot of the games are just, like you said, a lot of people with a lot of money just go enjoy a, a spectator sport rather right. than – right create an actual environment for these teams to play in. Um, and in college football, you're going to get that environment every time. But all right. Um, that'll do it for the 2024 schedule release um, in the SEC. Um, if we get any more news about the potential uh, future of that, uh, we'll definitely cover it here on Road to Glory. Um, but let's move along. In the docket, let's see what else we got here. Um, let's talk about the Elite 11. The Elite 11 began yesterday, um, and it runs over a few days. Um, I don't even have a list of the players in front of me. I was not prepared for this. My bad. Give me one second. Uh, but so the Elite 11 is weird, right? Because it really is just football in shorts, right? <laughs> um, and it's just quarterbacks with uh, a few top wide receivers are there, but um, it doesn't usually correlate or in the past, it hasn't usually correlated. We've had guys like Brandon Allen um, light up elite 11 um, and look really, really good and then disappear into the college football landscape. And over the years, I know people are, are trying to say that the winner of the Elite 11 has went on and, and, and gone to do some pretty good stuff in the past, like, two, three, four years. But I still kind of am whole iffy about this uh, this program. 
I think it's good for the players to experience just the competition and um, just like being around all those coaches and, and, and the stuff that they can learn and soak in. But I, I don't put too much stock in the rankings and, and, and stuff like that. Um, I don't know if you have any initial thoughts on the Elite 11 before we talk about the quarterbacks that are going to be competing. Um, but that's what I think about it. Oh, no, I definitely agree with everything you said. You know, you know how I feel about the, the T-shirt stuff, but, um, you know, you can't really predict a guy's future based on something like this because there's just so much more that goes into it. You know, the fit with the team and the coaches, like all that is more important than a camp or a seven-on-seven or a combine mm-hmm. or anything like that. So, you know, yeah, it is, it is it is cool to just go out there, compete, have some fun, but I wouldn't really worry about who did better than who at this or anything like that. Definitely. All right, so let's quickly run through the names on this list then, uh, and then we can move on. Um, five-star quarterback Dylan Riola from Phoenix, Arizona, Pinnacle High School. He's the number one rated quarterback, uh, number one player, I think, in the country. He's committed to Georgia. Uh, oh, five-star Julian. Yeah. <laughs> uh, was committed to Ohio State. I think he recently just flipped to Georgia like a few months ago. Um, but yeah, of course, of course. Uh, then we got five-star Julian Sayan. Um, he's the number 16 overall player, the number two quarterback from Carlsbad, California. He's committed to Alabama. Um, then we have five-star quarterback DJ Lagway from Willis, Texas. He's the number 29 overall player, number third, number three quarterback. He is committed to Florida. And we have four-star quarterback Jaden Davis from Charlotte Providence Day School. The number 33 overall player, number fourth ranked quarterback committed to Michigan. We got Aaron Noland from Fairburn, Georgia, number 41 overall player, number five quarterback committed to Ohio State. Uh, we got CJ Carr from Saline, Michigan, uh, number 45 overall player, number six quarterback committed to Notre Dame. Um, Elijah Brown from Santa Ana, California, modern day high school, number 63 overall player. Uh, number seven quarterback. Uh, right now, he is predicted to land at Stanford. Got some interest from Arizona State, some UCLA interest there as well. We got four-star Luke Cromenhoke from Savannah, Georgia. Um, number 76 overall player, number nine quarterback committed to Florida State. We got Ryan Buglisi from Avon, Connecticut. Number 155 overall player, 12th ranked quarterback. Georgia commit Colin Hurley from Jacksonville Trinity Christian Academy, uh, number 15th quarterback uh, committed to LSU. Uh, Demon Williams Jr. from Chandler, Arizona committed to Ole Miss. Uh, he's the number 16th ranked quarterback. Uh, House Hedgenay, Fort Worth, Texas, number 18th overall quarterback committed to TCU. Isaac Wilson from Draper, Utah, number 19 overall quarterback committed to Utah. Dante Reno. Sershire Academy in Connecticut, number 22 overall quarterback, South Carolina commit, Michael Hawkins from Frisco, Texas, number 23 overall quarterback committed to Oklahoma, Trevor Jackson, Winter Garden, Florida, number 26 quarterback, um, uncommitted currently, um, and then a few three-star quarterbacks, Will Hammond, Texas Tech commit, Ethan Grunkmeyer, Penn State commit, 
Daniel Kalen, Nebraska commit, and Danny O'Neill, a Colorado commit. So big list of quarterbacks, uh, recruits from all across the country, committed to a whole bunch of different schools. Um, it'll be interesting to see how these guys play over these next couple of days. So shout out to all of them. Um, any thoughts on that? Or I was just going through names. I don't think there's much to really talk about. Yeah, I didn't know that Georgia was taking two quarterbacks. Yeah, so they had this Ryan Puglisi guy committed for a while. And then I guess they found out that they were able to take um, Dylan Raiola. And that just, I guess he's a, a prospect that you can't really turn down, especially for right, right. a guy that is ranked lower than him. So, And they said that the Ryan kid is super locked in. He He's not worried about the competition. He says that him and Dylan are, are cool and they're friends. So um, obviously you could say one thing and it might be totally different once you get to campus and once stuff starts, but um, yeah, they are taking two quarterbacks. And I know you saw uh, my boy, DJ Lagway, five-star number three overall quarterback. He, but he better come save this program, man. He better come save this program, man. Can't wait. All right. Um, so I found this. No, I'll do that last, actually. All right. Um, all right. Let's talk about these first. I call them, I'm calling them first year head coaches, but let's talk about some of these head coaches that are at new destinations. Um, we've seen a lot of shakeup in the college football head coaching landscape. A lot of well known coaches at new destinations. Um, at some pretty big destinations. So let's just talk a little bit about these guys. Um, just talk about how we think about them at their new spots pretty much and, and set expectations. I want to start with Scott Satterfield, um, former Purdue head coach. He is now at Cincinnati. Um, uh, do you want to start or do you want me to start? It doesn't really, doesn't really you can matter. You go ahead, man. I, and, I, and I said he was from Purdue. I met Appalachian State. Um, so, yeah, man, I'm, I'm, I'm really interested to see in, in how this works, obviously, with um, – Cincinnati losing a guy like uh, Luke Fickle to Wisconsin, who we'll talk about in a little bit. That is a huge, huge loss. Um, and it'll be really interesting to see how Scott Satterfield fills his shoes, right? I mean, Cincinnati made history being the first group of five team. Obviously, they're now in the Big 12, but at the time, they were the first G5 team to, and only G5 team to ever make the playoffs. Um, and they played well. They played Bama well that game. Obviously, they were outmatched, outcoached, but um, they did play Alabama well, and, and and Luke Fickle built a pretty solid program out there in Cincinnati, one that I think most of us expect to be a top 25 program year in, year out. Don't really think they have a lot of playoff expectations. Well, now they're in the Big 12, so now they have a, a bit more of a chance. But um, Scott Satterfield is a guy that obviously um, real college football fans will know about um, with all the success he has had at Appalachian State. It feels like Appalachian State, it was just beating these power five schools left and right every year, whether it be UNC or, or Pitt or Notre Dame or whoever it, it may be. It felt like um, his teams were always, always ready to play. Um, I can't tell you how well um, he recruited at Appalachian State. I didn't really pay attention to their recruiting, but obviously he's a good talent evaluator if he's able to get um, kids that are good enough to beat some of these power five teams. And and if you don't think he's a good enough talent evaluator, he's a good enough developer to get these lower ranked kids and develop them into players that can compete against these higher ranked teams. So now uh, you give him a opportunity at Cincinnati 
that is just now entering the Big 12. So that is going to do huge things for the way they recruit and their recruiting landscape and where they're able to go and convince recruits. Because it's going to be a lot easier to convince recruits to play in the Big 12 than in the AAC, right? So um, I think he has a very good opportunity to kind of um, make the Cincinnati program his own, right? Like it feels like this is like a reset. They, they lost their coach. They joined a new conference. And now they can establish a new identity under Apple, uh, under um, Scott Satterfield. So if if Cincinnati takes any of the identity that Appalachian State had, I think they could be a very dangerous team because um, he knows how to coach an underdog. Definitely. Thoughts? I just think it's going to be rough in the beginning because you're going to have a bunch of players that are at the group of five level of talent, and now you're asking them to come up to the power five. And yes, Texas and Oklahoma are going to be gone, but there's still Kansas State, there's still TCU, there's still Oklahoma State. It's going to be tough, man. All those teams are going to have more talent than the group of five schedule that Cincinnati is used to playing. So it's just going to take it's going to take a few years for Cincinnati to hopefully stack some good recruiting classes and. Maybe they could be a consistent eight, nine, ten win team. Agree. I, I I definitely think that's fair expectations for that Cincinnati program. Um, to to always be pushing for those ten wins. Maybe not necessarily get it every year. Um, but I do expect them to be pushing for that uh, ten wins. Now, I do think there is a a world where they can be competing for that Big Twelve championship. Um, I. I I don't know, like you said, how soon that will be because, like you said, it takes time to build a program. They're going to have to stack recruiting classes, but I do think there is a path there because we've seen it before. We've seen them get to like, like it. it, We saw it, so um, it may not be uh, the same path uh, that they took the first time. But I, I do think that potentially that could happen. But um, like you said, for the for the next few years, expectations definitely eight, nine, ten wins play. Uh, in a good bowl game, maybe potentially a New Year's Six bowl game, compete for your conference and and see what you can do from there. And and this year, they are playing in the Big Twelve, and so they'll they'll yep. be in the conference with Texas and Oklahoma before they leave. And they do actually have Oklahoma on their schedule, but I'm looking at Cincinnati's schedule, and it's pretty favorable. Eastern Kentucky. Can you run it through? Yep, I'll go. So first they play Eastern Kentucky, Pitt, Miami of Ohio. Oklahoma, BYU, Iowa State, Baylor, Oklahoma State, UCF, Houston, West Virginia, and Kansas. So they did them right by putting all the former group of five teams against each other. So at least all of those teams have a chance to at least get a few wins. And their, yeah, and their non-con sure. is pretty is pretty good. You know, Eastern Kentucky, Pitt, and Miami, Ohio. Those are all Solid winnable programs. games, exactly. So, you know, the, these are these are things that seem to be working out for Cincinnati. Um, I definitely think they should go at least six and six this year. I mean, it's going to be tough though because BYU is no slouch. Kansas is not bad anymore. Um, Oklahoma State seems to be down, but again, they're probably going to have more talent. Um, West Virginia is usually a solid team and so is Baylor. So, I mean, 
honestly, a lot of these games are probably going to be close. The only yeah. fear is that you don't want to be that team that loses nine games, games. by three points. Exactly. So <laughs> yeah. you just don't want to be that team. Yeah, that's definitely a season filled of heartbreak, especially if you're a fan as well. That'd be a, a tough pill to swallow. Um, but I, I definitely think that's fair. Um, I, I, I do agree with you. Uh, there are some winnable games there, but it does seem like that schedule is, is definitely going to be a lot of close, close action. So we'll definitely keep an eye on Cincinnati and Scott Satterfield and just how they continue to to build that program up and, and play this year as they enter the Big 12. Um, so, yeah, I thought that was an interesting coach to talk about. Uh, moving along, I want to talk about Kenny Dillingham, new head coach at Arizona State. And I feel like he has one of the uh, more difficult jobs here in all of college football. Um, for those of you that uh, follow college football um, very closely, obviously, you know a lot of the scandals that have been going on with Arizona State and just a lot of allegations of cheating and, and, and recruiting violations and just pretty much Herm Edwards kind of just left Arizona's state in a relative state of chaos, right? So um, Dilly has to come in and, and kind of clean up a mess first, right? Like it's not even like he he has to just come into a program that he might have to just stack some recruiting classes. And he, he has to, from the ground up, build this. I mean, um, this is definitely going to be a tough turnaround. I feel like a lot of off the field things may affect the performance on field for Arizona state. So it, it may not necessarily be fair to judge them on how they perform over the next few years. Um, so that's why I'll say my expectations are relatively low for Arizona state and Kenny Dillingham. I, I, I think it would be a pleasant surprise if they turn around and won eight games, seven games. I think that would be amazing for them. Um, right now, what I'd want to see from him is just, building and rebuilding that culture um, that Arizona state once had and, and turning them into a respectable program once again, and just kind of, like I said, cleaning up that mess. And then once that is taken care of, he can really focus on the football side of things and, and building the team he needs to compete in that conference because Arizona state, um, when they're better, it's good for the PAC 12, especially with them losing um, UCLA and USC soon. Um, so I really do hope he turns it around and, and uh, the Sun Devils get back to where they once were because uh, you know, uh, I'm a big fan of Forks Up. Um, I love Arizona State, especially when they're good. So, any thoughts on Arizona State? I know you have. I know you have a few as 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 a Pac-12 guy. So I'll let you go ahead and get into that. Definitely. Um, you know, I'm familiar with Coach Dillingham because he was Oregon's offensive coordinator last year. So I'm kind of rooting for him, but I'm kind of not at the same time, just because we're gonna be playing against them. But <laughs> I think it's gonna yeah. be rough in the beginning. You know, again, I think if they got four wins, I would call this season a success because this schedule is tough. Every team that they – pretty much every team that they play is going to be better than them besides maybe Cal and Colorado. Um, You know, look at this schedule. They open up with Southern Utah, which should be a win, an FCS team. But then they play Oklahoma State and then Fresno State. Now – I don't really know what to expect out of any of those teams, especially Fresno State, because they do lose Jake Hayner. So I don't know what to expect mm -hmm. from them. But Fresno State is usually a good team. So you can't sleep on them. I remember they gave Oregon trouble two years ago. So I, I just don't really know 
it wouldn't surprise me if if Fresno ended up beating Arizona State, honestly, because mm, we don't wow. we don't really know what what Arizona yeah. State has. And then they open up the conference play with USC, then Cal, Colorado, Washington, Washington State, Utah, UCLA, Oregon, and they finish with Arizona. So pretty much every Pac-12 team they play is better than them. Um, even Washington State right now is better than them. So. I just think it's going to be rough. I mean, they play Washington, Utah, UCLA, and Oregon all in five weeks. I mean, damn, that's just rough. So I don't expect yeah. them to go bowling, but I do no, expect the not. team to show some promise of getting better in the future. Um, We know Coach Dillingham knows how to do offense. So if he could just learn his lessons – from certain things that he did at Oregon, I think they'll be fine in the future. Yeah. Um, so expectations for now are just pretty low. You would say, um, you don't expect them to really do much. Um, as for, um, my final thoughts, I just, I just feel like he's a coach that's going to need time. He's young as well. If, is this his first head coaching job? Who? Is this his, uh, Kenny Dillingham's first uh, head coaching job? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was um, OCF, Florida State, and Auburn, and Oregon. Oregon, yeah. So I knew he was at Florida State. I didn't know he was at Auburn, but. Yeah, that's why he was, he with, was with Bo Nix, yeah. Yeah, yeah, good point. I didn't know that. Um, so, yeah, so it's going to be, this is a tough, this is a tough job for a first-time head coach. Um, if you're an Arizona State fan, um, my best advice would just be patient. It's going to be tough. It's going to be hard. I'm sure you're going to want to fire him at some point <laughs> but it's probably not even his fault like i said it, it, they are a mess right now so we'll definitely see let's let's first get through that turnaround let's get through the the, the building of culture and then we'll start looking at arizona state for on-field products i think that's definitely fair expectations from them next i want to talk about jeff brahm um this is the former purdue coach i'm pretty sure he is now at Louisville. Um, yeah, Jeff Brown was the Purdue coach. Um, now, obviously, um, Louisville is a interesting program. Um, I feel like they can be good. That this can be a a good program in the ACC. I'm not sure if there will ever be a team that competes for the ACC title on a on a year to year basis. But adding a guy like Jeff Brom who's used to playing at a uh, maybe a less resourceful school like Purdue in the Big Ten. I think Louisville in the ACC is a pretty good hand-in-hand uh, -hand comparison. Would you agree? Like like Louisville is the Purdue of the ACC? I feel like that's a, they're kind of similar when you look at the grand scheme of both of their conferences. So Honestly, um, I think I do agree because, well, Louisville has definitely had higher highs than Purdue. Yeah. Now, how could we forget the Pandemonium and Piscataway in those years <laughs> when Louisville was a consistent top 10 team? But, yep. and of course, they had Heisman winner Lamar, Lamar Jackson, Jackson. But even when Lamar won the Heisman, I think they ended up going like nine and three. Nine wins. So, yeah. You know, this is, this is a school that seems like it has potential, but I think it's just hard to recruit there for some reason. 
I don't know. And I, I, I would genuinely, gen, generally agree. I think Louisville did a really good job in bringing in their transfer portal class this year. I think their class is one of the better classes when it comes to the portal. Obviously, um, that's a big point of contention on on how to build a roster and succeed in college football is through high school recruiting through um, the portal and, and which is better or obviously you need to balance both this, this, this and that. But um, I will say that I just feel like Louisville and Purdue both don't really have high expectations. You don't really expect them, like you said, to go and win the conference, but they are both capable of potentially being a factor in their conference. I mean, we saw Purdue go on runs and, and update upset Ohio state plenty of times upset, uh, upset Michigan state a couple of times. Um, I don't know if they ever got to the Big Ten title game, but um, I think Louisville is the perfect landing spot for Jeff Brom where he could just continue to work under the radar, build a good team, and, hey, maybe potentially have a year where they beat Clemson, where they beat UNC, and they're looking at a chance at playing in the ACC title game. And and maybe that will only happen once every handful of years, but um, I do have pretty – decent expectations for this for this program and, and for Jeff Brom here at at Louisville I think this is definitely a spot he could be at for a long time um and find success at yeah and the ACC is a conference that you can definitely sneak up on people and you know it's not one that's really been dominated by one team or a bunch of team well I mean technically it has been dominated by Clemson but the point is Clemson isn't looking at isn't looking like Clemson from a few years ago. So to me, this is an opportunity for somebody like Louisville to be a threat to win the conference. Definitely. And I think that's makes it that much more exciting. I don't think anybody would, would disagree with that statement. Exactly. Um, moving along though, uh, to Luke Fickle, the new head coach at Wisconsin. I think this obviously he'll be one of the more um, followed, head coach storylines in all of college football, obviously very, very famous um, over the most uh, recent years coaching Cincinnati, obviously into national relevance and, and getting them to um, the college football playoff. He was one of the most sought after coaches. I know Florida was looking at him. I know, um, was it Auburn? There, there was another SEC school I that think was, it was looking Auburn. at him. And was it Auburn? Auburn was looking at everybody. I don't remember. Yeah, Albert wasn't at everybody, so maybe, yeah. <laughs> but um, he wound up here in Wisconsin, and Wisconsin is a team that obviously a lot of people expect to compete for the Big Ten Championship every year and, and expect to to turn out those 11-win seasons. Uh, but they have been pretty down over the past couple of years, so it'll be very interesting to see um, what uh, Luke Fickle can do now that he has way more resources, way more talent, and... Uh, um, than he did at Cincinnati, uh, at Wisconsin. Um, so I, I have pretty high expectations. Obviously, the first couple years, you have to give every coach some time to get his players in the building. Um, you don't expect any coach to come in year one and just automatically start dominating. But Wisconsin does have the talent profile where Luke Fickle could come in year one and produce a good season. Now, I'm not going to sit here and predict them to be in the Big Ten championship game, but at least be better than they have been. So I think that's what my expectations are to see a better Wisconsin team, a better product on the field this year than they have been the past two or three years. Definitely. And this is a a program that wasn't a complete dumpster fire when he took over. So I definitely expect this team to go bowling. I'm going to look at their schedule right now. 
But we're also going to see a modern offense from Wisconsin. This is not going to be the Wisconsin right. that we grew up watching. So it's mm-hmm. going to be really exciting. You know, we got a hot shot head coach, modern offense. He's going to have more talent than he's ever had before. I just think that this is going to help the Big Ten because we've had this conference dominated by Ohio State and then now Michigan. So I would like to see a team like a Wisconsin or another team come in and actually give Ohio State and Michigan a run for their money. Mm-hmm. And um, so, okay, they start off playing Buffalo, then Washington State. They're finishing the home and home. They actually go to Pullman this year, which is hilarious. Oh, wow. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah that is hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> and then they play Georgia Southern. So the non-conference is, is pretty favorable. These are all winnable games. Um, they should definitely start off at least 2-1. and one. I'm not going to say that they beat Washington State just because they did lose to them last year at home. So, yeah, that's so crazy. we'll see. It's going to be year one with new – with a new coach, um, you know, all the players are going to be learning a new system. So we know how that can be rocky. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to, you know, disrespect Washington state because they give everybody trouble, but they open up conference play against Purdue, then Rutgers, then Iowa, Illinois, Ohio state, Indiana, Northwestern, Nebraska, and then Minnesota. So they don't play Michigan. They don't play Penn State. They don't play Maryland. No Michigan State either, yep, right? No Michigan State. So they miss out on some heavy hitters in the conference. Not calling Maryland a heavy hitter, but they are. They yeah, are, but Maryland. They are right. a good team, though. But so, yeah. so a lot of these games are winnable. You know, they got Northwestern, Nebraska right. at the end, um, Rutgers, Purdue. I mean. I don't know, and we know how Iowa is on offense. So yep. this is a team that could go bowling in year one with Luke Fickle. I think that would be big. Definitely agree. Uh, that would do waves for them in recruiting as well. Um, just Luke Luke Fickle being able to sell his vision to the recruits. Um, obviously, with UCLA and USC joining the conference, that's just more competition in recruiting. Um, so. I definitely think it's key that they find some success this year. Um, I think you made a very good point um, in bringing up their schedule as well. Uh, but all right, let's keep it moving. A few more coaches to talk about here. Next, uh, we'll talk about Auburn, who we just <laughs> mentioned. Uh, they wound up hiring Hugh Freeze. Now, Auburn is obviously another interesting situation. Um, I'm not going to say they're as much of a mess as Arizona State when it comes to just being a program in general. No, but they just had just, a bad coach. Yeah, but too bad. I mean, just from the Gus Malzahn, the Gus Malzahn situation, yeah. going to Brian Harson and all of the drama that came along with him and his exit um, into coming back to Hugh Freeze, it's definitely been a bit of a whirlwind for Auburn as a university and their football program. But I think Hugh Freeze is the right guy. I mean, <laughs> we made jokes about it. Um, and I shouldn't say jokes like <laughs> it was very lighthearted, but him calling plays from the hospital bed like this man was in the booth laying in a hospital bed, cooking up plays for Liberty and they were killing teams. And this guy is like as sick as sick can be. Um, <laughs> so it was very clear to me 
that uh, Hugh Freeze was a very, very capable coach. I mean, Liberty um, was a pretty excellent program while he was there. Um, I always expected them to be very strong. Obviously, they had a guy like Malik Willis, and when you have a quarterback like that, um, it definitely always helps the trajectory of your program. But I do think Hugh Freeze coming back to Auburn is just the perfect thing that they needed. Obviously, he's a part of their rich history. He has a lot of ties in the area. Um, so he's a great recruiter and just a lot of people I feel like were able to rally around him um, becoming uh, the new head coach at Auburn. I think this is finally the right hire. Um, now, as for expectations on the field, I do, f- although, like I said, I don't think they're as much of a mess as Arizona State. I do think this roster is pretty depleted. Um, they don't have much talent across the ball. On either side, they still obviously have Tanks Bigsby, one of the better running backs in all of college. So having a guy like that is definitely going to help them and, and, and push them to a few wins, especially their out-of-conference schedule. But they play uh, in the SEC West, and Georgia is one of their rivals that they play every year. So um, knowing the gauntlet that they're going to have to play, um, it's not going to be new to Hugh Freeze, as he's obviously been here before. But um, I don't expect them to to be a a factor yet in the SEC West. Um, I think they're definitely a few years out from that. Um, I know that's been a common theme for all of these people, but I definitely could see like a five and seven, six and six season uh, on the horizon for Auburn. I don't know if you agree, but that's where I'm looking at Auburn right now with Hugh Freeze oh, in year one. I definitely do. They might even be lucky to get five wins. Let me look at their schedule. Wow. So, well, their non-conference is pretty is pretty favorable. They yeah, that's, I, I'm assuming they're gonna they're gonna be able to beat their non-conference opponents. Yeah, they play UMass, Cal, and Samford in the okay. non-conference. So yeah, that's three. That that should be three. Right, and then the last non-conference at the end of the season is New Mexico State. So that should be four. Um, yeah. But then again, this team was so bad. I'm just like, man, Cal might get them. Yeah, maybe. And they go to Cal, which isn't really uh, much of an environment. That's tough. But no, that, that. But it's still traveling into the West Coast. That is true. They're going to be. They're going to be jet lag. They're going to be jet lag. Jet lag. That's a thing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, oh my it, it really is a thing. I mean, guess what? It's at freaking ten thirty. Oh my goodness. Oh. <laughs> that's the Pac twelve after dark that that that's week. A dark. Wow. I mean. That might be a little bit of an advantage for Auburn because they can maybe like sleep a little bit longer. But you're right. I mean, that 10:30 game is going to feel that's like just, they're kicking off at at midnight. Yeah, that's Auburn. That's time. just nasty. That is so nasty. That's an- Cal and Auburn <laughs> at 10:30 at night. At 10:30, I'm not watching that one, fellas. Hey, I might. I might be. I'm not gonna lie. I might be. <laughs> Yo, that's just crazy. Come on, yeah, that is Pac-12, crazy. That what is are you crazy. doing? What are you doing? <laughs> You got to put like uh, somebody, you got to put Wazoo at 1030 at night, man. Come on, guys. But then uh, Auburn opens up SEC play against A&M. Then they play Georgia. Then they play LSU. Then Ole Miss, Mississippi State, Vandy, Arkansas, New Mexico State, like I said, and then Alabama at the end. So, yeah, this is tough, man. They play. A&M is definitely going to be more talented. They play Georgia, LSU, Ole Miss, and Bama. Arkansas is clearly better than them right now. I don't know what to expect from Mississippi State. 
But this is going to be tough. It's going to be close for them to go bowling, honestly. It's going to be close. So yeah, I'm 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 definitely wondering if they're going to get bowl eligible this year. Like I said, five six wins. Well, I think that's around what, what we're looking yeah, at. For them I think this year. six is their ceiling, honestly. I think that's I think that's completely fair. I mean, at the end of the day, they play in the SEC West. That's that's tough. That's it. They know they got eight tough games. Um, and they they're in the West, right? So they don't even got to play like Vandy. Like they got they got tough games. But so. they do play Vandy. Oh shit! I didn't... They play Vandy, but <laughs> oh never mind. But, that's our that's our cross that's across uh division rival. Yeah, that's like the one game rival, that's that's like a sure win, I think. But even even nowadays, I mean, Vandy beat yeah, Florida. I was, just about, to say that. Florida, I was yes. just about to bring that up because I was like, look, yeah. you can't even sleep on Vandy nowadays. So yeah, who knows? <laughs> who knows? Um, let's keep it moving. Um, to one of the probably the most polarizing head coach in the entire country outside of maybe a, a Kirby Smart and Nick Saban. We got Deion Sanders um, at Colorado. Um, first time coaching at this level, the Power Five level, former Jackson State uh, head coach. Um, we've talked about him a little bit here uh, throughout these past couple episodes. Um, I did just see something earlier, uh, right before we went live. Colorado is returning just 10 scholarship players from last year. 10 scholarship players so there might have been some more walk-ons and stuff that but only 10 of the scholarship players are back so this is a a complete this is one of the rare this is i don't think we've ever seen a situation like this because usually we could say well we just need to give these guys time to get their guys in the door right but it seems like dion is in the door with all his guys already like if he's only bringing 10 guys back from last year's team this is a a completely different team i mean from top to bottom from from video editor to offensive coordinator to left tackle to third string kicker. This is a completely different group of individuals in this building. The fact um, that so it really is very, a new video editor is hilarious. Yeah. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's a whole new stat. Like it just, it's all Dion now. Right. Yep. So we'll see um, what they can do year one. And, and, and that's why I feel like expectations are a little bit weird, right? Because, we look at their schedule and it's not an easy schedule, right? I mean, when you look at it and you, and you think about last year's Colorado team, you're like, wow, they might not even win two games. Right. But this might not be Colorado's team last year. I mean, they might be significantly better or significantly worse. I mean, we don't know. So it's kind of hard to gauge expectations um, for this team. Um, This is your conference though. So, so what are your thoughts on, on Colorado year one with Deion Sanders? Man, I think it's going to be, Really tough year one. We did talk a little bit about this before. Mm-hmm. But, wow. We all know how Dion overhauled the roster, brought in like 70-something transfers or whatever. and Yeah, I think it was like, yeah. <laughs> and But here's the thing. Everyone always likes to talk about the transfers and the rankings and this and that. But you have to look at each of the transfers. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Some of them are coming from group of five schools, and some of them are guys that probably didn't play and things like that at right. their other schools. So right. it's not like when Kyler Murray tra- transferred from Texas A and M to Oklahoma, and you knew you had a guy. Yep. A lot right. of these guys, mm-hmm. they're and honestly, they're probably better than what Colorado had. 
So I don't, I don't blame them. <laughs> and uh, maybe, and yeah. here's the, and here's the thing: when a team goes one and eleven, you, you can't really get much worse. So at least he no, knows that the guys that he brought in want to be there. Yeah. So right, that's a start right there, and their schedule is tough. They play TCU and Nebraska non-conference, and Nebraska's kind of in the same boat as them. You know, new coach. Yeah. We're going to talk about Hugh Free, uh, not Hugh Freeze, uh, Matt, Rule. Matt Rule next. So, but, yeah. you know, again, they're they're kind of be, going to be in the same boat. The only game that I think should be a sure win on their schedule is Colorado State. So Colorado starts off with TCU, then Nebraska, then Colorado State. They open up Pac-12 play going to Austin Stadium against the Oregon Ducks. Then they play USC. I mean – this team might start off one and four, guys. This is crazy. Then they play Arizona State, which is another team that's going to be in the same boat. And here's the thing. Coach Dillingham has more experience being a Power 5 coach, even though he wasn't a head coach. So Dion has been a head coach, but it was at the FCS level. And Matt Rule has proven to be a good power five head coach. He turned around Temple, then he turned around Baylor. Right. So all these other teams, to me, are in a better spot than Colorado was when Dion got there. So we'll see if this works out with all the transfers. But again, I will say that I think. Honestly, I might have tried to do the same thing if I was in Deion's shoes because one in eleven is so terrible. You just know yeah. the culture was terrible, and and like I said, you at least want the players to want to be there, even if they stink. And Deion ain't for everybody. Exactly, exactly. So. And I'd rather be around dudes that stink that want to be there because you know that they're always going to do the right thing and do it to the best of their ability. And you and you can right. build on that. You can build right. on good culture. We just seen last year Texas A&M had the most five stars and, you know, all this and that, supposedly all this talent, but their culture was terrible. You had quarterbacks yeah. being set by the coach because he wore an arm sleeve or something when he went out to, for warm-ups or whatever. I'm like, what is this drama? Like, yeah. I heard there's, lots of, there's some NIL drama, like some younger players making more money than some older yeah, players. Yeah, and see, like that stuff too, like that so. is just ridiculous. So. Yeah. Again, you know, people want to talk, can talk about Dion. Of course, I've had my criticisms or, and, you know, my prediction is that they probably don't win more than four games. I think they might go three and nine, but I think that's still a success because they were one and 11 last year, (laughs) but it's just going to be rough. And so after Arizona State, they do play Stanford. So maybe that is the other win. Then UCLA, Oregon State. Arizona, Wazoo, and then Utah. Pretty much all those teams are better than them besides maybe Stanford. So, and even then, Stanford has a new coach now who who, yeah, who was pretty do. good at the FCS level, so we'll see about him, but... Key, right, is his last name? I, don't I forgot his name. first name. His last name, Key, I, I think. Yeah, I honestly forgot his name, but... Yeah, yeah. Stanford is just in such a bad spot that Colorado should be able right. to get them, honestly. <laughs> but... Right. I mean, this is, I mean, two sure wins, maybe. This is yeah. just tough, man. 
So and yeah, and, and go ahead. I'm sorry. No, you go ahead. I was I was pretty much done. Yeah, I was just gonna say like, yeah, just I I, I could definitely agree when when you say like three wins, four wins, maybe the max, the ceiling, and 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 I and I don't want to be unfair to Dion. Obviously, every coach that's new deserves time to to establish himself at that school and and, and to build the program the way he wants. But um, I don't know. I, I do feel like my expectations are just a little bit different. Like I, I, I'm not going to be saying that he's a bad coach if they win three or four games, but I would like to see them win more than that. I mean, oh, of course, I, I would like everybody to, would like I mean, to see yeah, their I, team win more than that. But just the reality of the situation is is really is really yeah. hard. Yeah, it, it it definitely is. It definitely is. I could I could, I could agree with that statement for sure. Um, let's close this out though with Matt Rule, um, making his return to college football after a brief stint with the Carolina Panthers. He is now at Nebraska, and I think this is exactly what Nebraska needed. I mean, they kind of uh, were in the depths of hell with Scott Frost <laughs> at the uh, helm, <laughs> uh, but they finally finally released the shackles. Uh, and uh, are now uh, directed by Matt Rule, who, like you mentioned a little bit earlier, is uh, known for building programs up. I mean, his most famous, obviously, being at Temple and just what he was able to do there and build that program into. Uh, good enough to even get him an NFL head coaching job. Obviously, struggled at that level, um, but it's, it's it's a whole different ball game. We've seen guys like Nick Saban, Urban Meyer great college football coaches go to the NFL and struggle as well. Right. So I don't think that is any uh, acumen to, to how Matt rule as, as a coach probably just struggled in that environment. Don't really know what the situation was behind the closed doors. So, um, so it's a fresh slate for me with Matt rule. Excited to see what he can do at Nebraska because Nebraska is one of those teams like Texas and they're always waiting like Tennessee. Like, are they ever going to be back? Are they going to be back? And, and every year it's the same answer. No. Um, but with a guy like Matt rule, I do think Nebraska could finally, finally uh, reach that potential. And obviously, year one, um, it's still going to be a whole bunch of Scott Frost players and and things of that nature. So it's going to take time for him to get some recruiting classes in and, and some transfer, transfer portal classes. But um, I expect them to be improved. I expect Matt Rule to have this team ready to play. And um, don't really remember what their record was last year. I want to say it was four wins. Four I think wins, they went wins. four and eight because um, they lost a bunch of four. games. Yeah, they lost. They lost. They lost a lot of games. I think it was Remember four they wins. Lost week one um, in yeah. Ireland. I okay. Yeah, I definitely <laughs> expect them to be fighting for that bowl eligibility. I wouldn't be surprised to see them playing in the postseason. Maybe not a big bowl game, but like the Army Bowl or the Pinstripe Bowl or something like that. I could definitely see uh, that being a pretty solid success for Nebraska and something that Matt Rule could build on for the future. So, what are your thoughts of Matt Rule here at Nebraska now, and and just your expectations for them? year one and in the future. Man, Matt Rule is a coach that I've been aware of for a long time, even going back to his days at Temple, just because of the proximity to where I grew up. So yep. to see him go from Temple to Baylor, I think was real cool. And, and I always liked what he did and, and how he would bring right. back programs from the dead, really. And and I, I, I think he's the only one who's proven to do it at a Power 5 level out of all these first-year head coaches. So most of my faith is is in him, honestly, over everybody else. So I really expect Nebraska to be a good team in the near future. I don't know if they're going to get to the level of Ohio State and Michigan, but I definitely expect Nebraska to be a consistent eight-win team in the Big Ten, 
even with USC and UCLA in there. Yeah, I agree. Um, it'll it'll definitely be interesting to see like where they can place themselves and, and get a foothold in the Big Ten because, as you mentioned, it's going to become a lot more competitive with these two West Coast teams joining. Uh, Michigan's been much better over the past couple of years as well. Finally, they haven't been frauding it up. So uh, Matt Rule definitely has an uphill battle in front of him, but Nebraska has a very, very strong history, a very strong fan base, lots of money and support from their alumni. Um, so I think Matt Rule definitely does have a chance at at building something special at Nebraska. And um, we, we've never got to see a Nebraska, or we've never really got to see Nebraska being super great. I think, um, who was the quarterback that they had where they were pretty decent for a while? Um, um, I don't even know. I can't even think of it. Adrian was Martinez. It? Adrian Martinez. At, but it, I feel like it was even before him. Well, remember, Martinez but ended up was, at Kansas State recently. So, Oh, yeah. Most recently, yeah, right? So he yeah, was, so he was at Nebraska like two years ago. Um, But, yeah, it, it would just be very cool to see, you know, some of these guys, um, some of these guys, this program in specific too, you know, be good. Definitely. Um, give me one second. Um, let me see. Let me see. Um, nope, it was Adrian Martinez. You're right. It was Adrian Martinez. Was he was the only one I could think of, honestly, because I'm yeah, like, none I mean, of them were even. Yeah. yeah, in the 90s, they had some really good quarterbacks like well, – um, Tommy yeah, Frazier, Scott Frost, yeah, <laughs> um, Eric Crouch. I can't speak on so, anything yeah, yeah. before I was born. Hell no, hell no, yeah. yeah. Zach, Ta- Zach Taylor, I didn't know that. <laughs> Did you know that? Zach no, Taylor was the, the Nebraska quarterback? For two years, he played for them. Started. I didn't know that. Um, but all right, uh, that's going to do it for our, our discussion here with talking about the new head coaches. I know there's a, a few other ones across the country, um, but those are just the ones that I found the most interesting um, to talk about here. Um, make sure you follow us on Twitter, uh, at the pigskin live. Uh, and, and if you have any coaches or anything like that, you want us to discuss, shoot us a, a DM there or tweet at us. And we'll definitely discuss that here. Uh, if, if we missed it or you feel like uh, it'd be a cool thing to talk about, uh, but let's move on. Uh, I got two more things I want to talk about only one more thing on the, on the docket, but I seen one more thing that I wanted to talk about as well. Um, and it's the 2023 preseason all transfer portal team. Uh, that on three just dropped. Um, and I just wanted to talk about some of these guys and, and just talk about this list in general, because I thought it was a pretty interesting list. Um, they have Sam Hartman here, um, quarterback for Notre Dame. They got Carson Steele running back for UCLA. Um, Treshawn Ward running back currently with Kansas state. Uh, A.D. Mitchell, uh, Texas wide receiver, Dorian Singer, USC wide receiver, uh, Dominic Lovett, Georgia wide receiver, Jaheim Bell, uh, Florida State tight end. Um, then they have Ajani Cornelius, Oregon yes, tackle, Ladarius Henderson, Michigan guard, Matt Lee, Miami center, Javion Cohen, Miami guard, and uh, Jeremiah Byers, Florida State offensive tackle. And that rounds out the offense. So a few names I thought that were interesting on this list uh, that I just wanted to get um, some attention to. The first being... Uh, the running backs, Carson Steele and Treshawn Ward. 
Um, I know Carson Steele was amazing at Ball State last year. I think he had like 1,500 yards or something like that. And I'm pretty sure he was first team um, all Mac. Um, so it'll be very interesting to see um, him at UCLA. UCLA has, some, has had a pretty successful running game in the past with uh, Zach Charbonnet most recent. So um, getting another cowbell running back like this, a guy that they can give the ball to um, 15, 20 times a game and know that he's going to produce will be very interesting to see him in, in Chip Kelly's offense. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the player, but um, any thoughts about UCLA and, and just their running game in general? Or UCLA we know, how, we know Chip knows how to dial it up, man. I still rock with Chip. I yeah. think Chip is one of the best coaches in the country. He just doesn't like to recruit. But when it comes to in-game management and just being able to out-coach people, he could do that with the best of them. I really, My dream is really for him to be somebody like a Nick Saban or Kirby Smart's offensive coordinator just to see the potential of that football team because he wouldn't have to do any recruiting. He could just do the X's and O's. Mm-hmm. I think Excellent. that would be the best football team of all time. <laughs> Chip Kelly and Kirby. Yeah, boy. <laughs> that'll, be, that'll be interesting to see those little fat balls. Definitely. Uh, out there on the sideline, getting it done. Um, next, uh, Treshawn Ward, uh, running back formerly of Florida State, now at Kansas State. Um, thought this was a pretty interesting name on the list. I was never the, the highest on Treshawn Ward, um, but I do think Kansas State is a good landing spot for him, and I think he could really do some good work out there. Um, I also want to bring up A.D. Mitchell, a former Georgia wide receiver. Uh, he was injured for most of the 2022 season, and then he came back for the playoffs and, and helped them win that natty. Um, he's originally from Texas, so now he goes back to his home to link up with Quinn Ewers. Um, A.D. Mitchell is, is a pretty interesting wide receiver to me. I feel like he doesn't really have anything that really stands out, but he's it's always open and he's always catching the ball. So like, I just feel like he's a great route runner has pretty solid hands. And I thought that was a pretty solid pickup for Texas. And um, I know they have another wide receiver already. Um, what's his name? Do you know his name? Xavier. He's really good. He's Xavier the one who Worthy. had the drops yep. last year, right? Um, I'm not <laughs> I'm too familiar about his pretty, drops, but I know he's, I'm I know pretty he's pretty sure, good. I'm pretty sure he's okay, the he one who problem. had the drop problems. And I watched the Alamo bowl okay. and he dropped like two uh-huh. deep balls that definitely, could have kept oh, Texas in the game. Man. You could be right. <laughs> I mean, from what I've seen from him, I like I like Xavier. No, Warby, he's so definitely that's, that's a good you... player. Like he's fast, he gets open, and everything. He just yeah. don't catch the ball every time. So hopefully yeah, he was so on the that, jug that, machine. That makes sense. Then. He was on the jug machine. Machine. I was gonna say that makes sense why they brought yeah. Eddie Mitchell with some some sure hands. Somebody Quinn Ewers could definitely look at on third down. Then because if this Xavier Worthy kid hasn't been on the jug machines, <laughs> then um, it's definitely a, a, a nice pickup. Um, any thoughts on A.D. Mitchell, or, or we could just move on? Yeah, you pretty much said it all. Um, I think Texas needed a player like that, though, to really elevate themselves and hopefully be a contender in the Big 12. Yeah, so I'm not too familiar with Dorian Singer, uh, USC's new wide receiver. Um, I know he was in the Pac-12 last year at Arizona. Uh, he finished second in the Pac-12 with 1,105 yards and six touchdowns. Uh, do you have any familiarity with him and, and- – could bring any insight on what he could bring to door, uh, to USC. Obviously, losing a guy like Jordan Addison hurts. Um, so, I think a proven wide receiver definitely. Yeah, helps. it's definitely a nice replacement. You know, a thousand yards isn't very common in college football. Even with a lot of, um, you know, high flying passing offenses, it's still really tough to to get a thousand yards. So, to see him kind of go to USC, it kind of sucks because it's like 
damn, like, you know, you lit up at Arizona, you know, now you're just going to USC when they, because they have all the, you know, the best coach and the best quarterback. But, you know, I don't blame them. If I was in his shoes, I probably would have done the same thing. So it is what it is. But, you know, I think this just makes USC better and more dangerous. You know, they just seem to keep reloading with the best people. You know, and this, I think yep. this is just an example of what we've been talking about, how the transfer portal doesn't really help the bad teams because, you know, Arizona went four and eight last year or five and seven. And, you know, they need a player like Dorian Singer to stay on that team for, for two, three years and really help them build. But, you know, you get a guy who pops one year and right. whether it's a group of five or a bad power five team, they put up a bunch of numbers and then they just get offers from all the, the other big teams and end up at one of those schools. Right. You know, I'm sure right. that I'm sure he had Georgia and Alabama and everybody else calling his name. So, right. you know, it, it's just the world that we live in now of college football where you have these guys and they have the freedom to pretty much do whatever they want. And let's be honest. I just said, I would do the same thing. A lot of us would do the same thing too, because we grow up wanting to play for USC and, and, you know, Alabama, Alabama Ohio state. Exactly. So, you know, we just, and a lot of guys just end up at in Arizona because USC didn't recruit him. So he might be from the West coast and just stay on the West coast. Right. Then USC comes calling your name. It's hard not to answer. <laughs> it's hard <laughs> not to answer for sure. And, and with NIL being a factor, some of these major brands like the USC, like Oregon, like Georgia, they have more money to throw around at you as well to get you away from some of these schools like in Arizona. Definitely. So, um, but yeah, uh, Dominic Lovett, uh, former Missouri wide receiver, um, more of a slot guy. Um, and that's where I expect him to play at Georgia. But very, very explosive, very dangerous wide receiver. A guy that anywhere on the field, if he touches the ball, he can score. Um, I think he's going to make ways for Georgia. I was praying Florida could somehow get in on this recruitment when he entered the transfer portal. But Georgia kind of locked that up pretty quickly. Uh, NCAA, if you're listening, checking with some tampering. Because uh, <laughs> that might have been going on with this one. But good pickup for Georgia. Jaheim Bell, uh, do-it-all weapon. He's, a, he's listed as a tight end. But he's more of like an H-back. Uh, he can play all types of different positions. So um, it'll be cool to see him with Florida State and, and that um, 88%, 90% production return rate. Um, and then a Johnny Cornelius, he's a guy that Florida was in trying to recruit at a Rhode Island, um, right tackle, landed at Oregon. Um, any thoughts on him since you are the Oregon fan? Definitely the best lineman in the portal. He had offers from pretty much everybody. For sure. So I'm honestly right. kind of surprised we got him. Because <laughs> I'm like, I don't know why he wouldn't just go to Alabama, honestly. But he, he, right. He's from Rhode right, Island, right. too, all the way to, over to Oregon. So, but, I mean, that might factor in because it's like, well, far is far. You know, you're from Rhode Island. It don't matter if you're with Alabama or the West Coast. you just far. So It's true. <laughs> far. So, <laughs> Right, right. So, and he might not have grown up kind of really, you know, having this kind of view on Alabama or things like that. So, he just might have liked Oregon. And, you know, I'm glad he's on my team. So, yeah, definitely excited to watch him play. And he's a dude. Like, like I don't even know how yeah. he was at Rhode Island in the first place. Like, how did all of these – how did all <laughs> these schools miss this guy? So, actually, um, he was unranked prospect out of high school. He didn't even have a, a star ranking. So it just, it's just, it's a, yeah, it's it really is. When you look yeah. at him, he really jumps out on film. Um, like I said, I don't right. even know how he was in the FCS. He he didn't even look like he belonged. 
Um, you know, <laughs> yeah, I've seen yeah, this film. Yeah, yeah he looks beast. like he belongs where he is at Oregon or any big Power Five school. So, you know, definitely right. excited to see him play, and I think he's going to live up to all the expectations. All right, let's run through these names on the defense. We'll talk about a couple of them a bit more specific, but I'm going to go through all them first. We got uh, the uh, 2023 preseason all-transfer portal team defense, uh, Jordan Birch, defensive end, Oregon, defensive tackle, Brandon Feisk, FSU, DT Bear Alexander, USC, Edge, Dasan McCallo for Oklahoma, linebacker, Monty Montgomery, Ole Miss, linebacker, Omar Spates, LSU, Edge, Andre Carter, Indiana, corner, Fentrell, Cypress, Florida State, cornerback, Deuce Chestnut, LSU, nickelback, Jihad Carter, Ohio State, safety, Patrick McMorris, Cal, and Jalen Catalone, Texas. A few names obviously stand out on this name, one being former five-star recruit um, and South Carolina Gamecock, Jordan Birch. This is a guy that don't even know why he went to... South Carolina to begin with thought he would for sure wind up at like uh, Alabama or um, Georgia, but he went to a different SEC program, uh, was in the portal, um, and Oregon came calling. I'm surprised another player, surprised you guys kind of got um, more so than that tackle. I, I'm Once he entered the portal, I knew he was going to Alabama. Like I, that's just one of those guys <laughs> who was like, yeah, he's going to Bama. Um, so it was quite a shock to me when he announced that he was going to Oregon. Maybe you have some more info, inside information, um, but this kid is incredible. Um, Oregon obviously has had uh, good defensive ends, great defensive ends in the past. So he was just uh, is the next one in line. It's going to seem like. And I think it just shows how good of a recruiter Coach Lanning is. You know, yeah, you got to give him his credit. He he's a big part of Definitely. building that Georgia defense that we all know now. So. You know, he's just doing the same thing on the West Coast, and you see that a lot. If you look at all the transfers that he brought in, not just this year, but last year too, pretty much all of them were a hit. They were all upgrades over the players that we would have had in their position. And I think the only one that didn't really do anything was injured the whole year. So it was, you know, you you can't really predict that sort of thing. But so, you know, if you look at, we had last year Bucky Irving, thousand yard rusher, one of the best running backs in the country. Noah Whittington, our second running back, he had like six or seven hundred yards, caught the ball in the backfield. He's a great player too. Bo Nix, we don't got to get into him. Um, Chase Cota, wide receiver, scored a bunch of touchdowns for us, and was and was a really good player. You know, I, there's there's even more that I could go into, but you know, these are. I'm just trying to say that the the track record is there already, even in one year. Pretty much all the transfers that we brought in were good. And this year you're seeing the same thing. You see a Johnny Cornelius on offense. And there's even other guys that they didn't even say on the on this on, on three's list. Um, you know, like like Tez Johnson. I think at, at wide receiver, Tez Johnson is a name that everybody needs to know for this year because that guy is a beast. But going back to Jordan Birch, again. It just shows the recruiting prowess of Dan Lanning. I don't know how they got this guy to come from all the way on the yeah, East Coast. It's crazy. But, you know, I'm glad we got him because we need help on that D-line. And, right. you know, if you watched, watched our team last year, you know that was our weakest point was our edge. So to have somebody right. like Jordan Birch come in and be able to fill that hole on our team is just going to be amazing. <laughs> 
And I really think that that our team is going to look totally different this year because of it, because of him and all the other transfers that Coach Landing has brought in. Yeah, definitely. Um, another name on this list, defensive tackle Bear Alexander, uh, now at USC, formerly at Georgia. It's a pretty uh, hyped up prospect coming out of high school, five stars. Um, he flashed a little bit at Georgia, was mostly a backup. He did uh, have two sacks in the natty against TCU. Um, I, but I think he's going to be a serious player for USC. I mean, this is an SEC caliber defensive tackle. And to have him out there um, now on the West Coast is going to be huge for when they join the Big Ten and, and, and join these more power uh, football conferences where you do need to build the trenches. So I think this is a huge piece for U- USC, and not only for this year, but uh, for the year after that as well, as I do believe Bear will have one more uh, year he's going to have to play before he can uh, declare for the draft. Um, so I think this is a really good pickup for Lincoln and them boys. Um, any thoughts on him or we can, you want to just keep um, going I definitely on? agree. You know, we know that USC needs a lot of help on defense. And to get a guy like that from Georgia that had two sacks in a national championship is just huge. So if he could replicate that production for the whole season on USC, that could be dangerous. Definitely. Definitely, definitely. Um, We got linebacker Omar Spates now at LSU, formerly at Oregon State, someone you may be a little bit familiar with. Um, this kid was an absolute tackling machine for the Beavs the past two seasons, uh, recording 173 total. Um, he was a four-year starter uh, at Oregon State, so he's transferring as a grad um, transfer to LSU. And he even earned first-team All-Pac-12 in 2022. Um, so uh, adding him to that LSU linebacker corps with already Harold Perkins, and who I mentioned last week, a name that you all should know, a name, a guy that, is potentially a top five pick in the draft when he's eligible, a player that I think can be the best player in the country already, only being a true sophomore. Um, that is going to be a dangerous linebacker duo for LSU. And I think that bolsters that already solid uh, defense. And I think, like I said, LSU is really priming up for a, a run at the, at the championship this year. I think this is their best chance um, to go ahead and get that SEC championship and potentially add to that natty trophy case. Um, don't want to take it that far yet because obviously teams like Georgia still exist. Um, Ohio State's still out there, but I think LSU uh, is making a lot of good additions this offseason, and Omar Space is a key addition for sure. Um, are you familiar with him at all? Uh, I know you guys obviously play Oregon State every year, um, so maybe you've seen this kid around and, and watched him play yeah, a few I'm times. Yeah, I'm glad he's gone, definitely. This is big, <laughs> for, this is big for LSU, man. Um, you know, Oregon State's defense was really good last year. And yeah, of course, really you good. know. They're going to be good this, again this year. That's a different conversation. But <laughs> I don't well, I don't think they're going to be bad. But, but, um, but be bad. Omar Space is, is definitely a good player. He was a big part of that Oregon State defense. And this is, again, another example. A guy pops at Oregon State. And, you know, in the old days, he would just be at Oregon State. And that was that. But. Now LSU is calling. I'm sure he had offers from other people too. And he ends up at LSU. And, and, and this might be the thing that elevates LSU from, you know, being a fringe SEC championship team to actually winning the SEC championship Playoff exactly favorite. and going to the playoffs and stuff like that. So, you know, stuff like, stuff like this is just, it, it really helps these teams 
like LSU where maybe they had a good linebacker, but they just didn't have that depth, and now they do. So now you have multiple guys on your defense that you can count on, and, you know, guys maybe don't have to take as much snaps and stuff like that. And and you you know that whoever you have in the game is just going to be a great player. So, you know, wish him the best. Definitely happy he's not in a Pac-12 anymore. And, yeah, you know, mm-hmm. again, I'm really excited to watch this LSU team this year. Right. Um, one last name I'll highlight on this list is cornerback Fentrell Cypress, uh, now at FSU, formerly uh, with Virginia. Um, he led the ACC with 14 pass breakups in 22. Uh, he was second team all conference. Uh, he was rated as the highest rated cornerback in the portal this cycle. Um, this is just a guy that I knew of before even him going to Florida State. Um, this guy's been on my radar for a while now. He's just a very, very good cornerback, really good size, strong speed, fundamentally sound. Um, Florida State has a true CB1 um, for the first time, I feel like, in a, in a while. Um, I think this guy can can travel, can go play on either side, can follow your best wide receiver, and, and, and play him really well. Um, he, he's played in the ACC before, so he's used to the, to the level of competition. He's not going to really have to adjust to it. Um, so excited to see what this guy can do um, at a program like FSU, um, who looks to be on the up and up. Um, are you familiar at all with uh, Fentrell? No, Cyprus? I haven't watched him, but again, Florida State, Florida State, and LSU are kind of the same team to me. And, and they play again week one this yeah, year, by exactly. the way. So I think LSU is slightly better, but they're kind of two teams that are in the same sort of situation. They should be in the running for their conference. They both got quarterbacks that are veterans. So we'll see. Definitely. Um, all right, so that's going to do it for the list. I just was reading that earlier before we went on the stream, and I thought there were some interesting names on this list. Um, so I just wanted to bring that up. All right, let's close out the show uh, with this. Uh, USA Today released the top 25 rev- revenue earning college athletic programs for 2022. Um, and now, obviously, this is college athletic programs. So this includes all sports. But if you know anything about college athletics, Football is the breadwinner for most of these programs, and most of these programs use the money they they earn from football to pay for their other sports. So um, let's go ahead and dive into some of these schools. Um, don't want to spend too much time on this, but there are just a few schools that I didn't really expect to be as high on the list. Um, but then again, it kind of makes sense when you think about this as the whole entire college athletic department rather than just football, although football is a major major part and probably like 80% of the money, 90% of the money that most of these schools are making. Um, so one is Ohio state. Uh, they earned $251 million. Uh, Texas is second with $239 million. Um, and that was the first team that was a little bit shocking to me. Um, obviously, um, Texas has been down in football, but I guess when you think about Texas as an overall brand, they have one of the biggest and craziest fan bases in football. So in sports in general, just as a college fan base and alumni base, 
Um, so I guess it's not as surprising that Texas is here at number two, but that was definitely the first team I wanted to highlight and get your thoughts on um, Texas just being here at number two. Um, I don't really have any thoughts, honestly. It doesn't really surprise me at all. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, I feel that. Um, another one that surprised me is Alabama is here at three with $214 million. Now, I know I just went on saying that football is obviously majority of what these guys are making. And I think this is the prime example uh, because outside of football, Alabama is not really that good at any other sport besides college basketball. And I'm not sure how big basketball is in the state of Alabama. So I'm not even sure how much money that program is making, but they have been really good though. So they probably have definitely contributed to this, but I'd like to think that Alabama is the third most richest revenue, mainly because of football and I just wanted to highlight that like fact, like that's in, that's crazy how big and like how much money football makes compared to all these other sports. Um, we got Michigan here at four, 210 million, uh, Georgia, 203 million at five. LSU is at six, 199 million. A&M at seven, 193 million, Florida, 190 million, eight. Uh, at number nine, we have Penn state, 181 million. And number 10, we have Oklahoma at 177 million. Um, Auburn is 11th with uh, 174 million. Michigan State is 12th with 172 million. And here are two more interesting schools. We have 13, Indiana, and 14, Virginia. What? Um, at 100, yes, at 166 million and 161 million. And now these two schools are above schools like Florida State, Clemson, Tennessee, and Oregon. And those are four athletic programs that have multiple sports that they do well in. I mean, I would say um, Clemson for sure. Clemson has a very good baseball program, very good basketball program. Okay, basketball program. Obviously, you're really good at football. Kentucky, obviously, a really good basketball program, a good football program, a pretty solid baseball program. Florida State's really good at softball, uh, really good at basketball as well. So it's kind of shocking to me that Indiana and Virginia are above those schools. I know Indiana has a solid basketball fan base, right? But you think they made $166 million worth of money for basketball? Um, they were pretty good in football this year, I guess, to their standards, right? What they won, like six games? I think they ended up games? going eight and four, but remember. remember they had a bunch of players in the draft. Oh, okay. Yeah, they had a, that's what I'm saying. They had a solid team. They had a, a, a lot of good players on their team this year. So eight games. So yeah, that's that's wild to me that we have Indiana, Virginia, oh, wait, 13 I'm sorry, and 14. That was Illinois. Um, I don't, yeah, that they had Illinois, all the players yeah. in the draft. Indiana, I have no idea how they made that amount of money. They were bad. <laughs> I mean, and I know that it doesn't out. really and, correlate with how you do in the season, but I didn't even know they really had fans like that. Yeah, I know that that definitely shocked me for sure. Same with Virginia. I mean, Virginia has been a little bit more relevant, I guess, especially in like well, yeah, basketball. basketball. They've had a decent football, football they program. They haven't been relevant at all, really. Well, they they were just in the New York Six game with Bryce Perkins like three years ago. Really? I know this is twenty twenty two, but they've been all right in the past. They just Virginia outside of that, they have yeah. But they were just in a New York Six bowl game. We played them. Florida played Virginia in a Yo. New York Six bowl game, like. Two years That's, ago. I totally forgot. Or 2021. I totally yeah. forgot that. 
Mm-hmm. They were terrible these past like year or two. Yeah, so maybe that, that's, that's why, probably why. They were like they were not bad for a second. I thought they were going to be a little bit of a maybe not mainstay, but like they were yeah. going to be one of those teams that every year could well, upset a couple teams. They're a big and maybe... academic school, so it's hard to recruit there. Yeah, agreed. Um, but let's keep on going. Those two teams were just interesting to me when I saw the list. Uh, Florida State, 161 million at 15. Kentucky, 159 million. Uh, 17, we have Clemson, 158 million. 18 is Tennessee, 154 million. 19 is Oregon, 153 million. Oregon is a team I thought would be a little bit more higher on this list. They're still number um, one in the Pac 12. That's what I was thinking. Like, I don't see really any West Coast teams on this list. And I wasn't that surprised with how USC and UCLA stadiums have been looking yeah. recently. And then you look across their other sports, their basketball teams are pretty solid, but I don't think that's enough to put them on this list. But I definitely expected Oregon to to be way further up this list. I mean, they have a really good football program. Uh, I know your basketball team is all right. Like they, they play in the Pac-12 terrible this uh, year. solidly. Okay, <laughs> I'm not sure about baseball or like softball or any of those other sports, but I feel like Oregon, I've seen Oregon softball team make the world series a couple of times. Yeah, so softball team is consistently good, but again, that softball and baseball don't really generate revenue. So it's kind of just, they don't, like, they don't whatever, but, but yeah. Football. Um, yeah. Yeah. I would expect them to be a little higher too. Maybe not top 10, but maybe top 15, somewhere around there. But yeah, we're still number one in the Pac 12. And, you know, we, when we bring up anything, <laughs> yeah. I always got to bring up Washington. And uh, I just got to bring up how Washington is operating at a, what is it? A $4 million yeah, loss. Well, this year, $5.8 million deficit. Yeah. Um, I was going to say they are actually on this list. They're the 25th uh, most earned team, and they lost money, actually. Mm-hmm. I don't so know what crazy. they're doing. I, they're not paying nothing for recruiting because <laughs> they only got one commit for 2024. So I don't know. what. Yeah, I think they're actually I was gonna say, I think they're actually the only team on this list that lost money this year. Oh, nope. Tennessee lost $3 million. Um, They're operating $3 million below. And let's see, let's see, let's see. Yeah, just Tennessee. So yeah, Tennessee look at and, Washington. Um, they figured out how Washington. to lose more, the most money too. <laughs> uh, let me power through these last couple of names. We got twenty twentieth is Arkansas, one hundred fifty two million. Twenty one is Iowa, one hundred fifty one million. Wisconsin is at twenty two, earning one hundred fifty million. Uh, Louisville's at twenty three, earning one hundred forty six million. And twenty fourth is Illinois, like we mentioned a little bit earlier, one hundred forty five million. On the back of that amazing football season they just had. Um, so, yeah, um, just want to run through those. I thought some of those teams, like I said, were interesting. Some of the numbers were interesting. Um, but, yeah, man, uh, that's going to pretty much do it for our docket, our show for today, unless uh, you had anything else that you wanted to get into while we're here. No, I think that was the last thing, just making sure I let everybody know that Washington is operating at a deficit. <laughs> I think that's uh, – you're doing your job then. Number one in the uh, – what was that? Uh, uh, fuck nastiest hater. Who was that? Um, oh, from from, from that uh, one. Skit, Coast, so yeah, that skit. was um. Uh, yeah, that was Charlie Murphy, I think. Yeah, I forget. Uh, I forget who. Uh, what the name of the character was, but that's you yeah, right it now. Was, it was Buck. Na- it Number was Buck one Nasty. hater award. <laughs> Buck Nasty. Yeah, it was Buck Nasty. <laughs> Look, when it comes to Washington, um, I am definitely a number one hater, and I'm proud. 
<laughs> hey, I feel you on that, bro. It's fun to hate. It's fun to hate, especially Definitely. your rivals. Um, but all right. Um, shout out to everybody that has been tapping in to our most recent episodes. We already got two uh, episodes out. Well, one is a test episode. We were just – that one doesn't really count. That one's probably going to be coming down off the, the feeds pretty soon. Um, I don't know. Maybe we'll keep it up. But we do have an episode that we dropped uh, last week, so make sure you all go check that out. Um, and continue to support us, man. We appreciate all the love. Uh, make sure you follow us on Instagram at the pigskin at the pigskin live, uh, follow us on Twitter at the pigskin live. Um, make sure you follow Steph and his podcast as well at, uh, the film jet, right? That's, that's what it is. Or just film jet. Uh, yeah. Follow me on, follow the social medias, Twitter, Instagram, our film jet pod. The podcast is just called film jet though. Film jet like if you search it on the podcast apps, whether you use Apple or Spotify. Yep, and this this as well will be on Apple and Spotify as well. Um, now that we're doing that thing, so yeah, man, let's let's get on out of here. Uh, like I always say, we don't know when we'll be back, uh, so just keep it tuned in and locked into the airwaves and our social media as we we'll always let you guys know uh, when we're going live or when we're posting a new episode. Um, appreciate all the love and support. We'll catch y'all during our next session. Until then, peace. <laughs>